Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. For this segment, Dr. Mark Zumhagen explains how our culture has replaced God with science, medicine, and government. He made his remarks at the Illinois Family Institute's recent Medical Freedom Forum at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. During that presentation, Dr. Zumhagen gave an illustration depicting two chairs. In one chair, there's science that acknowledges God, and the other chair is science that denies God. Dr. Mark Zumhagen is a family medicine doctor in Orland Park. He's been practicing family medicine since 1986. We're going to talk about digging down to the roots. Not going to talk a lot about vaccines necessarily or necessarily a lot about COVID, but I feel that this was sort of a practice run, what we just went through. If we don't understand the root of the problem, we're just going to keep doing it. So here we go. So it's a question of knowledge is where we're going to start. The word science means, in the Latin, knowledge. We're also going to talk about the philosophy of knowledge. And that's sort of like, how do we acquire knowledge? Where do we get it from? This turns out to be a key piece of the puzzle. Basically, epistemology is how we know what we know. If you're a biblical scholar, you've probably done a little bit of work with epistemology. Mostly, I want to cover this idea. How is science related to the Judeo-Christian belief system? First, I'm going to show you an example of the wrong analysis. I just thought I'd start with that because I think, actually, this is probably the majority viewpoint. The first knowledge is scientific knowledge. And again, this is sort of the current popular opinion. We're given the option of science knowledge, which is fact-based, objectively certain, modern, reliable. And then what's the other kind of knowledge we can rely on? Well, we have faith-based knowledge or religious knowledge, and it's based on faith. It's very subjective. It's antiquated. It's pretty unreliable, actually. So that, to me, though, is the world's picture of, of where we're at. You know, we have this certainty knowledge, and we have this sort of nebulous type of knowledge. And then the question is, are we sort of seeing a war between science and religion? And I'm actually going to jump to my conclusions, just in case I don't have enough time to get there. I'm going to give you my conclusions first, and then I'll walk you through how we get there. Isn't that an unusual way? There is no war between science and religion. There is a war between science that acknowledges God and science that denies God. That's the war. And it's incorrect to frame it in these terms. So there's a war between two types of science. Atheism is not neutral, is one of my concluding points. Science is not neutral. And before we have medical freedom, we must have spiritual freedom. And that's why I'm looking out to the audience here. You are all esters for such a time as this. The fields are white with harvest. So let's go on with this. I'll try to stay in order now. So 
I'm going to use an analogy I found in one of Francis Schaeffer's book called True Spirituality. In order to represent this conflict that I'm dealing with, he uses two chairs. One chair is empty. The other chair has a Bible on it. And so that represents, in a sense, two worldviews. And I'm all even going to say it's two religions, really, uh, that are in, in competing uh, thoughts here. So in chair one, we investigate natural causes in an open system. In chair two, we investigate natural causes in a closed system. What does that mean? It means that in chair one, with the Bible here, we have the natural world and the supernatural world both acknowledged. In chair two, we have only the natural world acknowledged. In chair one, we have another source of knowledge that chair two doesn't have. We have revelation from God in that Bible. And that is a whole extra source of knowledge this chair doesn't have. And we also have observational scientific knowledge in this chair too. But that's all they have. They don't have revelatory knowledge. So where does that leave us? Well, this would mostly be called a theistic chair, or if we want to be more specific, Judeo-Christian chair. And this chair is materialistic atheism. So now I'm going to do a couple uh, definitions just to, to uh, make that a little bit more solidified. So we have the Judeo-Christian worldview, where we view the Bible in the Hebrew, it's the Tanakh. It's sacred, reliable revelation from God about himself, man, history, and all creation. And now we have our two sciences that spring out of these two chairs. The first chair has the ability to investigate in the physical realm. That's science. And in the second chair, science is also investigating the physical realm. But we add six words. And that is all there is. So both of them conduct science. One of them conducts science with the revelation available as well, and the other one conducts science in a closed system, that the only acknowledgement is the physical world that we see, touch, taste, feel. I'm gonna look at a little history here, because you know, when did science really get started? About 1600s. Isaac Newton, Copernicus, Galileo, and guess what? Where do you think they sat? They sat in chair one. Scientific revolution. You can read many, many books, and even non-Christians acknowledge the reason the scientific revolution occurred was because it flowed out of Western Europe Christianity. There was one God. There was a rational God. He had created man with a rational mind that could discern and measure and figure out his creation. And these guys started to do it. And guess what? When they did it, they didn't say, wow, I've got everything figured out. Guess we don't need God. No, they said exactly the opposite. They said, this is amazing. God is incredible. Do you know many scientists are very disappointed that Newton spent at least half his life studying the scriptures. And they said, man, if only he had spent that half of his life just purely devoted to science. Look how much he gave us. They don't see that if he hadn't done that bit of study in the scriptures, we wouldn't have the other part. It goes together. But what happened? Well, we shifted to chair two in the world of science. And roughly the real line in the sand is 1859, Charles Darwin, The Origin of Species. And this is now the chair occupied not only by Darwin, but most 20th century scientists 
21st century scientists as well. So I just want you to realize a little bit of the bankruptcy of the theory of evolution, because this is part of the problem, and we have to know that we're standing on, on solid ground here. Obviously, we have the revelation. We believe that God created the world, but some of us don't realize how bankrupt the theory of Darwin is. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown. Four questions Darwin can't answer. How do you get something from nothing? How did the world get created? How do you get life from non-life? How do you take chemicals and physics and make it into life? We can't do that. We never will. How do you get consciousness from non-consciousness? How do you get man that is so radically different from all other creation? There's nothing in evolution that explains that. And the last one is, how do you find information embedded in each cell in the body? There's no other instance. If you find a book, if you find a computer program, if you find a hieroglyphic, there's always a mind behind information. Well, guess what? There's tons of information embedded in each person in this room. And that means there's a mind behind you. What is that mind? Evolution has no answers because there is no mind. In evolution's mind, you came from an amoeba. It's ridiculous when you think about it, but we have to stand up and call it out. Here's a very interesting thing. So let's look at the main tenet of the theory of evolution. It says that the definition is that the fittest organisms will produce the most offspring. And we define the fittest organisms as those that produce the most offspring. So actually, it means that the, the organisms that have the most offspring will have the most offspring. That is the entire basis for the theory of evolution. It's called a tautology. It's like saying, I just met a bachelor who's an unmarried man. You're saying the same thing twice. It's not useful. It doesn't prove anything. Of course you met a bachelor who's an unmarried man. Of course the ones that produce the off most offspring produce the most offspring. Even prominent evolutionists have admitted this that it's a tautology, but nobody talks about it very loudly. Last one, the theory has been very effectively challenged in terms of its unlikely probability. There's so many holes, it's more than a Swiss cheese in the, in the theory of evolution, and the intelligent design community has challenged it very accurately. But as we've seen, there's such a stranglehold on our institutions, they're, they're not getting anywhere. But we've got, we've got to help them out. So origins, here's our origin, God created the heaven and the earth. Here's the origin that these guys have. In the beginning were the particles, the particles became planets, planets became a complex living stuff, the living stuff imagined God and eventually discovered evolution. Those are your two scriptures. The uh, content, Francis Schaeffer quote, we have a, an eternal, personal God who created man in his image. In the other side, Richard Dawkins, listen to this quote. Doesn't it send chills down your spine? The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That is the root of our science, and that is why we were in this problem. Consequences of living in this chair over here. We lose the ability to judge truth from falsehood. We lose the ability to judge right from wrong. We lose the ability to judge good from evil. We ultimately lose the ability to discern what is real, what is illusion. We lose the sense of individual purpose to ultimate meaning of life. And we eventually lose science, because guess what? Science came from this chair, and when you take science away, you lose it. What do we get in its place? 
totalitarian sociological manipulation by increasingly complex technology. I came up with that phrase. <laughs> Quite proud of myself for it. <laughs> technology advances, but it's no longer used to benefit the individual. It is used to benefit the state or the planet or the herd. God looks at the individual. These folks look at the, in the good of the herd, they'll kill a few people. It never works out the way they say it will. All right, action points. Got to go through these quickly. Two minutes. So recognize science is not a neutral enterprise. It's agenda-driven. may not have your best interests in terms of medical decisions. Since the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if you're getting advice from somebody who doesn't fear the Lord, it may not be such great advice. So be cautious when you're dealing with doctors and other scientists. Ask yourself every time you see a scientist get up, which chair is he sitting in? And then you'll know whether you can listen to him or not. All right, don't, don't send your children to godless institutions. Fourth, turn off brainwashing. Turn off brainwashing, please. Dr. Eisenstein, one of the smartest people I met on the planet, told me, don't think you're smart enough to overcome the brainwashing. So be careful. Be careful what you expose yourself to. Don't spend too much time with people sitting in the second chair. This one's going to be a little edgy. I challenge every Christian to decline the hepatitis B vaccine on the first day of life for their babies, because it's for an adult illness. If, if the mother does not have hepatitis B, the only way the baby can get it is sexual contact or drug use. So when you say, oh, I'm just doing what the doctor said, you're sitting in the second chair. Don't do that. Yeah, I wouldn't spend 30 seconds on this one. Uh, there are vaccines that are made from aborted baby cells. I want you to know the reality on this one, because I've researched it. It's not like, oh, we just stumbled across an abortion and we're going to make something good come out of something bad. It's carefully orchestrated. The baby is harvested from the womb at 17 to 20 weeks, intact. It has to be, baby has to be removed by cesarean section and then is dissected for parts. You can't use anesthesia. And you could say, well, there's only three cell lines we're using for vaccines. There are papers out there, one of them by Stanley Plotkin, the father of vaccinology in this country, where he documents that he used 76 babies in part of his experimentation. Just because the babies can't tell us about it doesn't mean it's not happening. I haven't been able to research this enough. They say, oh, aspirin, everything is tested on board of baby cells, so you probably can't be using any of those, material, those products. If that's true, I want us to, to demand that products be labeled with, this product is free from testing from, with the board of babies. I think we, we need to demand that if that is being done. I know it's being done in vaccines for sure. Not all vaccines. So there's the final thoughts. Just ask yourself, what chair am I sitting in? And realize that many of us, myself included, actually is, is a part of living on this planet. We inevitably switch back to that chair. But just realize that chair is there and pray to the Lord for discernment so that you see everything in its spiritual dimension. And you don't just start Oh, the experts told me. I, I have the sense that sometimes we're in church, we're worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. We walk out the doors, we turn on the, the TV, and there we're listening to that, and he's just saying, hey, okay, he's the expert. I guess I don't know anything. You know more than he does. You do. You know more than he does. And you have a purpose of life. And one thing you have to hang on to with both hands, you are made in the image of God. If we lose that, if we lose that, that's when all this happens. So just remember, we have revelation. It gives us purpose. It gives us morality. Why do you think science is so corrupt? 
it not only goes down the wrong path, but it has no moral framework. Obviously, that's why we get the abortion. But why do you think we have such so much, so much wasting of money and cheating and all this? You know, the worst elements of humanity come out. So we we have to restore our science. We go back to the scientists of the 1600s. This is the question to ask yourself, what chair are you sitting in and are you constantly switching chairs? And here's my bibliography. I like Francis Schaeffer, G.K. Chesterton, Philip Johnson, good guy, Stephen Meyer, he's an intelligent design guy, Eric Metaxas just wrote a good book, and uh, Robert Mendelssohn, hmm, The Confessions of a Medical Heretic. That's what got me into this. God bless you all. Dr. Mark Zumhagen, during the recent Illinois Family Institute Medical Freedom Forum at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. His private practice in Orland Park is called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Now, after time out, Q&A with Dr. Simone Gold with America's Frontline Doctors. This week on Breakpoint, we're looking back at some of the most important commentaries of 2022. Hi, this is John Stone Street, host of Breakpoint. Our goal with each and every Breakpoint commentary is to help you think about life and culture from a Christian worldview and live accordingly. Please join us in this work and help others live like Christians in these challenging times. Just go to colsoncenter.org slash December. That's colsoncenter.org slash December to make a gift. Here's Breakpoint. With our kids, we often have to play the long game. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. In a recent article at the Gospel Coalition, writer Sarah Zilstra tells the story of a Christian family with a teen who once identified as transgender. Quote, I started to associate womanhood with being sexualized, says Grace, who's now 16. Peers, teachers, counselors, above all social media circles, guided Grace toward a strong case of what's known as rapid onset gender dysphoria. She stopped wearing feminine clothes. She asked her parents to refer to her as they, them. That's the moment that many parents fear. These parents prayed hard. They stayed true. They remember the long game. They built relationships with her, describes Zilstra. They drew boundaries around how she could express herself. They took her to counseling and to church. Eventually, Grace began to feel comfortable as a girl again. In a culture where nearly one in five Gen Zers call themselves LGBTQ, the story of Grace and her family are worth reading. At a time when so many are tempted to despair about this issue, it doesn't offer a quick fix. What it offers is truth, love, and hope. I'm John Stone Street. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight for this segment, Q&A from the Illinois Family Institute's recent Medical Freedom Forum with Dr. Simone Gold. Dr. Gold is the founder of America's Frontline Doctors, AFLDS.org. It should be noted that Dr. Gold was an early critic of COVID-related shutdowns and vaccination mandates, and she finds herself in legal trouble for trespassing in the U.S. Capitol building on January 6, 2021. We let off with a question about the Biden administration's proposed disinformation governance board that's expected to be resurrected under a different name. How concerned are you about President Biden's disinformation governance board and the impact that could have on medical freedom. So people don't really know this, but it just there's no reason to. America's Frontline Doctors is actually not the official name of our 501c3. 
Our name is actually the Free Speech Foundation. It's always been speech. It's always been speech. You can control a society with speech. What we saw in the last two years is when you don't have free speech, you can kill people actively and quickly through propaganda and censorship. It also kind of kills you slowly with soul-crushing censorship and self-censorship. It is the most alarming fight since the founding of our nation. It's a disaster. One way to prevail is to simply have other news sources that you trust. It needs to be outlawed, and hopefully it won't go through and it'll be disbanded, etc. But the alternative is to know other sources to go to. It's a disaster. Hi, doctor. I have a question. If a person had the COVID in the January of 2020, and then they were kind of coerced into getting the shots in 2021, what do you do? I mean, can you get that stuff out of your system? No. What, well, what do you do then? You, you can go on our site and you can read under COVID-19 and educate yourself. Okay, we have a whole section on long haul or vaccine side effects. There's a ton of information. The take home message from your question is pretty much all the answers you want on, on a technical matter are on our website. In your case, under the COVID-19 tab, okay? Spread everything we have. We have over 900 pages on our website, including dozens of videos. Please share them. You can also write for things like that in your media at AFLDS.org. But feel free to share. I chose not to take the vaccine because I wanted the science and medical people to see an unvaccinated person. However, my husband, being in a large corporation, was forced to take both shots. And now he has to go to Germany and that requires a third booster shot. Is there something that he could say, I am not taking this booster shot and you have to let me into Germany? Or does he just sit back and say, zoom me in? So I have two points on this. I, I always get a question that's some variation of this. First, we are actually not forced to do things. Serious. We are not used to getting uncomfortable in America. And I'm not saying any of this is easy. I was fired, my life turned upside down, but I just want to start with you're actually not forced. You make a decision, I don't, I don't want to lose this job, it's too difficult, just because you have to accept internally that you, you are not like a slave, okay? Because there are countries where this could happen. That's number one. Number two, he doesn't have to go to Germany. Sorry, like he doesn't. So there's nothing we can do to influence the rules of a sovereign nation Right, so there's that. And also, even in our nation, like to come in, you have to take tests. So for example, in my life, I don't travel much, and I don't know what my life will look like going forward without shots. I don't know, but I'm willing to say, I'm not going to take a knee. And by the way, no criticism if you want to do the shot, it's your choice. What you shouldn't do, though, is take a knee. That changes you. They're collecting the data of the emails when, when they give people these vaccines, so they now have a list of the people that don't have that data. And your question is? The question is, millions of Americans are being canceled from the job market because of this. What can your organization and other organizations do to reverse that? So it's a complicated question, right? If, if you get canceled, how can you function in your life? Again, two things. One is don't over-exaggerate 
the impact it will have on you and don't live in fear. That's the truth. There's so much fear of what's going to happen if I don't comply or I get canceled. Most of it doesn't come true. It comes true for people like me who are particularly outspoken. But for most people, most of the time thus far, I wouldn't anticipate and I wouldn't borrow trouble. But the bigger answer is something I've been saying for at least a year. We need two societies. Okay, so you need to support those businesses and you need to work for businesses that believe in freedom. There's a new one getting started, um, a new website called Public Square that a lot of conservatives have gotten behind and they list businesses that are freedom businesses and you should support them. I hope that this grows over time and I think we're going towards a bit of a severed society. Hi, Dr. Simone. I had COVID A and I got COVID pneumonia for a couple months and then I uh, recovered, and then I had uh, COVID a month ago. Now COVID's here to stay, I guess, forever, I don't know. Do we need to take more medicine? Does it just go away by itself? What, how bad is it gonna be in the future? You know, I contemplate a lot how we'd all feel and how this would look if this hadn't become politicized. From my perspective as an ER doctor for a long time before this, I don't think this was anything different than anything else I had seen for all of my career, right? People did not live in fear and mortal terror if they got influenza, which most of the time is a whole lot worse than COVID. You, you didn't want to get it, it's uncomfortable. I had influenza myself about five years ago and it was kind of miserable. Like I was in bed for two weeks, it was awful. But you didn't lay awake thinking about it. And I would say it's the same thing. It's a SARS virus. It's a tiny respiratory virus. The current version makes you very mildly ill. It's like Omicron. It's like a sore throat headache. Like it's not really anything to lay awake nights thinking about. So yes, I think it's here forever. People are afraid to take action. They don't want to hear this information because they might have to do something. <laughs> So even in my own family, how can we share this information but get them motivated to actually engage in the information and learn about this? So first of all, there's hardly any family that hasn't been touched by this. I, it's so rare to meet a family where everyone's on the same side. I'm not even sure I've, I've even met one family like that. I would say a couple of things. One is, you don't actually have to get into a fight with your family member. Like that might be like news, because it's like, we really believe and we know, and it's a fight and it's a struggle, but save that passion for outside your family. Because in, in other words, what really matters for most people is getting a bit involved and their vote, right? So you don't have to make sure that your son or your daughter, your husband or your father, whatever, vote. Like that's just one vote. So first of all, bring it down a notch and keep your family relationship intact, okay? One, it, it, convince the neighbor down the street, convince a guy on, this, on the beach, right? It doesn't have to be a fight with your family. Number two, make it about a freedom issue. Don't ever make this about the shot. And try to get people to see that at some point, they're gonna have some belief or want to say something that someone else won't like. Try to get them on that and then work backwards. Everything you're talking about is going to hit us in the next few years politically, and it will change the course of the United States at least, where are the young people? So, Ben, there are people like in their 20s and 30s. There's also families, like mommies and daddies, this is all kind of one problem, right? They go to the school board meetings, they're on a domestic terrorism list. Like, they're seeing it. There's also a huge number of Americans who took the shot, or the family member took the shot, then they got COVID, and they're like, ooh, that's weird. I don't think that this is really limited only to older people, in fact, I'm not so enthused about the older people. The older people don't want to give up Medicare. And they, they like are really like in that, 
Whereas I have a lot of hope for people in their 40s and 50s, the moms and the dads, who got very upset about what happened. The other thing is not to get discouraged. We do still, in my opinion, have time to fight and kind of build a bit of a separate society, separate businesses, et cetera. So I, they're still here, the younger ones. Let's thank Dr. Simone Gold. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank God you. bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Simone Gold with America's Frontline Doctors, AFLDS.org. Please join the Illinois Family Institute for our Pro-Life Apologetics Worldview Conference, Saturday, March 18th at the Village Church of Barrington. Scott Klusendorf, Dr. John Diggs, and Scott Phelps will help us better understand and explain the sanctity of human life to people in our sphere of influence. This timely special forum is an important opportunity to strengthen your biblical worldview and become better equipped to effectively engage with your family and friends who celebrate abortion. They help elect pro-abortion lawmakers to represent us in Springfield and Washington. To register, click events at IllinoisFamily.org or call 708-781-9328. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute and Illinois Family Action and tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.